0: Welcome to Old Treasures Made New, your devotional podcast on the go or at home, where we read the scriptures and reflect on them with those from the past. Today we're reading Matthew 26, verses 47 to 56, and then through J.C. Ryle's expository thoughts on Matthew. Please take a moment to pause and to ask the Holy Spirit to bring understanding and to apply what we hear. Matthew, chapter 26, verses 47 to 56. Then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, Put your sword back into its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think I cannot appeal to my father, and he will at once send me more than twelve legions of angels? But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? At that hour, Jesus said to the crowds, Have you come out as against a robber, with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I sat in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But all this has taken place that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples left him and fled. This is the word of the Lord. We see in these verses the cup of our Lord Jesus Christ's sufferings, beginning to be fulfilled. We see him betrayed by one of his disciples, forsaken by the rest, and taken prisoner by his deadly enemies. Never surely was there sorrow like his sorrow. Never may we forget, as we read this part of the Bible, that our sins were the cause of these sorrows. Jesus was delivered for our offenses. Romans 4.25 Let us notice for one thing, in these verses what gracious condescension marked our lord's communion with his disciples we have this point proved by a deeply touching circumstance at the moment of our lord's betrayal when judas iscariot undertook to guide the multitude to the place where his master was he gave them a sign by which they might distinguish jesus in the dim moonlight from his disciples he said the one i will kiss is the man and so when he came to jesus he said Greetings, Rabbi, And he kissed him. That simple fact reveals the affectionate terms on which the disciples associated with our Lord. It is a universal custom in Eastern countries when friend meets friend to salute one another with a kiss Exodus eighteen verse seven first samuel twenty verse forty one It would seem, therefore, that when Judas kissed our Lord, he only did that which all the apostles were accustomed to do when they met their master after an absence. Let us draw comfort from this little circumstance for our own souls. Our Lord Jesus Christ is a most gracious and condescending Savior. He is not an austere man, repelling sinners and keeping them at a distance. He is not a being so different from us in nature that we must regard him with awe rather than affection. He would have us rather regard him as an elder brother and a beloved friend. His heart in heaven Is still the same that it was upon earth. He is ever meek, merciful, and condescending to men of low estate. Let us trust Him and not be afraid. Let us notice for another thing how our Lord condemns those who think to use carnal weapons in defense of Him and His cause. He reproves one of His disciples for striking a servant of the high priest. He bids him, Put your sword back into its place. And he adds a solemn declaration of perpetual significance For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. The sword has a lawful office of its own. It may be used righteously in the defense of nations against oppression. It may become positively necessary to use it to prevent confusion, plunder, and pillaging upon earth. But the sword is not to be used in the propagation and maintenance of the gospel. Christianity is not to be enforced by bloodshed, and belief in it extorted by force. Happy would it have been for the church if this sentence had been more frequently remembered. There are few countries in Christendom where the mistake has not been made of attempting to change man's religious opinions by compulsion, penalties, imprisonment, and death. And with what effect... The pages of history supply an answer. No wars have been so bloody as those which have arisen out of the collision of religious opinions. Often, mournfully often, the very men who have been most forward to promote those wars have themselves been slain. May we never forget this. The weapons of the Christian warfare are not carnal, but spiritual. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 4. Let us notice for another thing how our Lord submitted to be made a prisoner of his own free will. He was not taken captive because he could not escape. It would have been easy for him to scatter his enemies to the winds if he had thought fit. Do you think, he says to a disciple, that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than twelve legions of angels? But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? We see in those words the secret of his voluntary submission to his foes. He came on purpose to fulfill the types and promises of Old Testament scriptures and by fulfilling them to provide salvation for the world. He came intentionally to be the true Lamb of God, the Passover Lamb. He came to be the scapegoat on which the iniquities of the people were to be laid. His heart was set on accomplishing this great work. It could not be done without the hiding of his power for a time. To do it, he became a willing sufferer. He was taken, tried, condemned, and crucified entirely of his own free will. Let us observe this. There is much encouragement in it. The willing sufferer will surely be a willing savior. The almighty son of God who allowed men to bind him and lead him away captive, when he might have prevented them with a word, must surely be full of readiness to save the souls that flee to him. Once more, then, let us learn to trust him and not be afraid. Let us notice in the last place how little Christians know the weakness of their own hearts until they are tried. We have a mournful illustration of this in the conduct of our Lord's disciples. The verses we have read conclude with the words, Then all the disciples left him and fled. They forgot their confident assertions made a few hours before. They forgot that they had declared their willingness to die with their master. They forgot everything but the danger that stared them in the face. The fear of death overcame them. They forsook him and fled. How many professing Christians have done the same? How many, under the influence of excited feelings, have promised that they would never be ashamed of Christ? They have come away from the communion table, or the striking sermon, or the Christian meeting, full of zeal and love, and ready to say to all who cautioned them against backsliding, Is your servant a dog that he should do this thing? And yet, in a few days, these feelings have cooled down and passed away. A trial has come, and they have fallen before it. They have forsaken Christ. Let us learn from the passage lessons of humiliation and self-abasement. Let us resolve by God's grace to cultivate a spirit of lowliness and self-distrust. Let us settle it in our minds that there is nothing so bad that the best of us may not do it unless he watches, prays, and is held up by the grace of God. Let it be one of our daily prayers. Hold me up, and I shall be safe. Psalm 119, verses 117. That is the end of Rao's expository thoughts for these verses. Let us carefully consider what we have heard today. May the Lord be pleased to bring the growth for His glory.